Here when you already call the moon to order. I hear a voice trumpet melody. All the glory is All right, good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Planning Commission meeting of February 27th, 2023. I'm calling this meeting to order. Uh, and first, please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Next, we'll have a roll call of the Planning Commission. Commissioner Chapman. Here. Commissioner Fullerton. Here. Commissioner Miller. Here. Vice Chair Maynard. Here. And Chair Smith. Here. And next, we have the public forum. And this is a time where any member of the public uh, who's here this evening or um, otherwise um, calling in or, or Zooming in has the opportunity to comment on any non-agenda item uh, that's you know, relevant to the city. So uh, is there anybody uh, present for public forum tonight? Yes, if any member on the Zoom webinar wishes to speak to public forum, please use the raised hand icon and I will call on you. Uh, I'm seeing no hands and I have no speaker no speaker slips. Okay, if there is anybody who does wish to speak for public forum, a, a, speak, a speaker slip is required. So just making sure that there's uh, nobody present who would like to speak at public forum at this time. Okay, thank you. Uh, next, do we have any uh, amendments or adjustments to the agenda? Madam Chair, we have no amendments or adjustments. Okay. Then we'll move right along to our, um, uh, I guess we don't have any administrative items uh, tonight, and so we will jump right into our public hearing. Uh, would the clerk read this item in for the record? Yes, and that is item B1, consideration of an ordinance for accessory dwelling unit regulations 
and finding the ordinance to be exempt under the California Environmental Quality Act, case number 22-005-ORD. Thank you. Uh, so let's see, so for this evening, uh, my understanding is that we're going to have a, a staff presentation and have some information shared from city staff. Uh, and then after that information is shared, the commissioners can ask uh, any uh, questions that they may have of city staff. At that time, we'll see if there's any questions or, or comments uh, from the public. Uh, and then the commission will uh, return and go into its deliberations. Uh, so to start off, uh, let's see, Ms. Wells, would you like to begin? Yes, th uh, thank you, Chair and commission, commissioners and members of the public. Um, welcome to this public hearing for the Accessory Dwelling Unit or ADU ordinance adoption. Um, I'm Advanced Planning Manager Ann Wells and I'm accompanied by Andy Newkirk, Senior Planner in Advanced Planning. Um, the City Attorney's Office is also in attendance and will be able to help with uh, question and answers if um, there's legal questions that might be coming up and I'll explain why that might be in a minute. Um, um, but before starting, just a little administrative things. For the proposed ordinance that, um, that we're um, amending, we're talking about amending tonight, it's provided in, a t in Exhibit um, A of Attachment 1 in the packet. And then we also um, included underlined strike through of the changes, and those are in Attachment 3 to the staff report. And the underlying strike through is showing the changes from before the council adopted the urgency ordinance. So you could get the context of all the things that changed. And, um, and then also the, the law that's driving these, this item tonight, or that was um, driving the, the need for the urgency ordinance back in December, um, that's included as attachment two, and that's the SB 897 regulations. Uh, so the, the staff report really outlines um, the city's previous ADU regulations that you're familiar with, um, and, they, and the fact that they're not, they were not consistent with um, changes to state law. And those changes to state law took effect on January 1st, 2023. And so if we did not adopt the regs, then our regs would be null and void. So that's the, the driver here um, for the item in December for council, and then um, we're asking you to consider um, those changes and then, uh, or the, the book, the, the new regulations that are on the books, plus some other uh, changes that um, we've since made. And we'll explain those for you too. Uh, so that's what we're asking is to process a, a permanent ordinance so that we can um, get rid of the urgency ordinance and m move on until the state makes more changes to the ADU regulations. Um, all right, so with that introduction, uh, we can go to the next slide, and I think that Chair just kind of outlined the process, so we may have it down, um, and then we'll just go to the next slide, because I think we're all in agreement on the, the process. So just a, a bit on the background, um, the, the law has changed, as you can see on the slide, in numerous times, 2016, 2017, 2019, and um, and so we have very limited local control over our accessory dwelling unit uh, regulations. 
So um, that's, and where we do have control though, that's why it's important for us to have our own regulations on the books that comply with state law so that the, those few areas where we do have the authority to regulate, we can um, inc impose those requirements. Uh, so that's kind of the, the, the urgency behind that, that ordinance back in December that went to council. Um, so they're also in the, the staff reports talking about the two laws that were um, signed into uh, the, the two bills that were just signed, and that's Assembly Bill 2221 and Senate Bill 897 that just came into effect. Um, they're, they're basically amended the same thing. So we're just going to refer to the two bills as just the SB 897, and that's included in your packet. And that's further, compared to what we had on the books before, it's really limiting um, local control of accessory, accessory dwelling unit heights and then the front setbacks and then how we deny applications. And there's uh, more that we'll talk about in the slides tonight. So um, again, we just need to adopt this, this permanent ordinance so that we can lift the urgency ordinance um, and move on as I... Um, previously stated. So the, the next slide goes into uh, the changes um, to the ADU regulations, and Andy is going to walk you through those. We're going to like bundle them by the changes that were made because of SB 897, and then those other um, list of items that we changed between the urgency ordinance and the planning commission hearing tonight, just so that you um, understand the two kind of categories of changes. Thanks, Ann. Um, so the really the most fundamental development standard change um, under SB 897 is to height and how we can regulate height. Um, so under our previous ADU regulations, for exempt ADUs, there are certain height standards, often 16 feet for new construction. Um, and then for um, non-exempt, it was often 12 feet, so really single story. And now, under ADU laws as of January 1st, there's one set of height standards for all ADUs. So in the track change version, it looks like you know a lot of writing got added to the height section, but that's because really it's, it's new as applying to all ADUs, and it's broken down in different ways than what our previous regulations had. Um, so up on the screen, you'll see what we try to summarize is kind of the, the new rules, and these are straight from the state law as to how we can regulate heights. So for detached ADUs, Kind of the default is 16, but you could get 18 if you're close to transit. You could get up to 20 for roof pitches. Um, and then you could also get 18 feet um, where there's a multifamily of more than one story. Um, so you're not limited to that lower height if there's you know multiple stories on the site. And then maybe the biggest change from what we have, what we had on the books was for attached ADUs, 25 feet now. Um, so one thing that may lead to some changes, we may see more second story ADUs like on a single story dwelling or you know, a, an addition essentially to like a partial second story above the garage for instance, something like that, um, that wouldn't have been allowed under our previous regulations. So that's a fairly big change and again, what we have in the ordinance is exactly what um, we're limited to under state law. So a real big push in 897 was those changes in height standards. Now, the, the SB 897 did do several other things. Um, one of the more no, noteworthy things is um, a limitation on application of front setbacks. So we still ha can have a front setback for non-exempt ADUs where we still have permit authority. We can apply 
that front setback. Um, but we have to essentially yield that standard to allow an 800 square foot ADU. So just give an example, we have a 20 foot front setback. If, they, if the only place they can fit the, an ADU of 800 square feet is in front of their house. But if we apply a 20 foot setback, they won't get 800 square feet for that ADU. They can encroach essentially into that setback as much as they need to to get up to 800 square feet. So it's, we call that the must yield provision. Um, so now the front setback falls within this must yield provision. Um, there's some changes in processing. Um, one is we have to provide details if we deny um, an ADU very explicitly how they can remedy that deficiency on a, um, a new application. And then there's a provision about requiring demolition permits at the same time as building permit issuance. That's not really an issue for us. If you're gonna demo your garage or something to put it in ADU, we'd, we'd already incorporate that into one permit. Um, but some cities apparently were not and delaying the demolition permit to delay the overall development. Um, so that's a change in our ordinance, but it really doesn't affect us um, in practice. Um, there's some new language at the end of the ADU ordinance about non-conforming or unpermitted conditions on the site and that those cannot stop an ADU essentially. Um, that's, we've already been practicing that way. Um, there's also um, additional language regarding building code consistency for ADUs that essentially were built before 2018 and are, but weren't permitted and now are coming in to get permitted. And so if, um, if we deny the, the, um, the permitting for those essentially as-built ADUs, we have to state um, what health and safety issue um, under the building code is leading to that denial. So we have to be really explicit about why we are or like what rationale we have for denying that building permit. And then there's also some, some clarifying language for junior ADUs um, that you'll see in the definitions. And a lot of these really aren't um, anything that we that changes our existing practice. They're, they're clarifications in the law, but we had already understood the law that way. So they aren't gonna lead to any real fundamental changes in how we process or consider junior ADUs. So some other changes in the ADU regulations, these weren't explicitly driven by 897, but, in, but they were um, done um, in consultation with the city, city attorney's office, um, kind of understanding best practices, um, what the state expects of us in our ADU ordinance, things we're kind of, we've learned as the landscape settled a little bit on some of these ADU regulations. Um, so one thing we've done is change the permit, um, the planning permit from a land use permit to this unique ADU permit. Um, land use permits are typically noticed on site, they're appealable, et cetera. Um, we don't have that flexibility with this ADU permit and that's consistent with the expectations of state law. So it's kind of really calling it out as kind of this different thing and really ADUs are treated differently than other things. So in many ways that's appropriate. Um, there are some changes in some of the requirements, um, efficiency kitchen definition language. And again, this is um, based on what we've learned about HCD's expectations for how we define things. Um, we previously, for non-exempt um, ADUs, required sewer connections and a separate address. Those aren't things that are explicitly in state law. In state law, state law doesn't say we can't do these things, but it's kind of that. Well, they don't haven't given us the authorization, and really, these um, these requirements are pretty well handled in the building code already. So, in a way, we're kind of calling out something that is already getting regulated, but also entering that area of non-explicit authority from the state. Um, and then some changes in the setback language, again, to just better line up with the state law so that there's no um, kind of 
potential argument that we are in some way not, not completely consistent with the state law. So again, just trying to be tighten it up a little bit um, to make sure that we're, we're kind of safeguarding our regulations. Because as Ann mentioned, if you're out of compliance in any way, your whole ordinance is out of compliance. Um, so we, we want to be really careful on those things. Um, we also added an income reporting requirement. This is not something from state law, but it's something from our recently adopted housing element that moving forward, um, we are going to be tracking the, the affordability levels of our ADUs. And so we need to get that information from the ADU owners. Um, so there's some new language in there about their obligation to report their rent. Um, there's no explicit affordability requirement. They just have to give us the rent so we have the data to understand how ADUs are being rented out. Um, and that'll, that'll help us with our um, ensuring we can implement our housing element completely. Um, there's some um, slight amendments to our design requirements. And these, these design requirements, they have to be objective, but we can have objective kind of ADU objective design standards, essentially, which are in the ADU section. Um, we've removed some of the, the extra height allowances in the design language because the heights are going quite a bit higher elsewhere in the ADU ordinance. Um, we thought it didn't make sense now to have these little carve-outs because those um, what were carve-outs should now just be allowed to get able to get designed because of the greater heights afforded. Um, we added one lighting standard. We didn't have a lighting standard. Um, it's, we don't think it's particularly um, controversial, but um, I think everyone expects a lighting standard in there. So we put in an objective lighting standard. And then we tweaked the landscaping standards a little bit. Um, we required landscaping on the outside of the ADU. Um, but in some instances, those ADUs can have four-foot setbacks from the rear side yards. And the four-foot setback is intended for safety for fire access. If we're requiring landscaping in that four-foot area, then we're kind of defeating the whole point of having that fire access. And um, for privacy requirements, you have to have something between windows and the next next door neighbor. But that could be landscaping or fencing or like frosted windows. So there's already there's already a safeguard for the privacy. So this we saw this as really more of an aesthetic standard. And if it's in the rear side, the public's not going to see it. Um, so we kind of limited that landscaping a little bit so that it's really about the aesthetic from the right of way um, and that there's various ways to ensure privacy kind of on the backsides of the property. Um, and also we removed um, a, a design carve out for um, modular manufactured ADUs. Um, and we felt that particularly with the change in that front setback must yield. And so you could have you know, an ADU kind of front and center on a property in that front, potentially in the front setback, that we it probably made more sense to get rid of that carve out at this point. Um, noting that the ordinance already has an exception that if you want to deviate from the design requirements, you can go through the de design review board process. So you're not, you know, you can propose something different, but you just then have then you kind of get kicked out of this ministerial process. Um, so there is still that option, but we felt like with these changes in laws, it was probably best that um, that carve-out be removed. Um, we also put in a protection for structures on the California Register of Historic Resources. That's actually in the ADU law. Um, it's just something we had not incorporated into our ADU regulations. So we, um, the state law doesn't explicitly say what that, how you protect. And so we, um, we crafted that language as we thought was um, best suited to prote protect those resources. And then there's some other minor cleanups that we're not going to highlight that's really about like verbiage and again this is just kind of 
a little more consistent with some of the language in state law, um, some of the tightening up some little language here and there that the city attorneys had flagged um, that they thought were, would be um, better for us to kind of safeguard our ordinance and, and make it um, easily defensible. Um, so that's, that's a summary again. As Ann mentioned, um, the ordinance is Exhibit A to Attachment 1, and the track changes is Attachment 3. We're certainly happy to go back into more detail on any of those changes. But again, these are really driven primarily by state law. And because of that, um, the ordinance is exempt from CEQA. So a, a local ordinance to implement state ADU law is exempt from CEQA. So that's what this ordinance is doing. Um, and so um, again, um, a, notice of, a draft notice of exemption that we would file after adoption of the ordinance is provided as um, attachment four. So with that, um, we're willing to take any um, questions the commission has for us, and thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, let's see, we'll go to commissioner questions at this time. Uh, let's see, Commissioner Fullerton. Thank you. Um, my first question for staff, so if, like you mentioned just a minute ago, if, if the project is going through discretionary process, are they still then using the new ADU um, permit type, or would that would they have to do an LUP at that point? So, Commissioner Fullerton, um, all under the ordinance, there's really kind of two paths. One is exemption, an exempt. There's four types of exempt projects. Those don't get any planning permit at all. They just get to go straight to the building counter, submit their plans. Planner, a planner will check for conformity with the ADU regulations, but it's simply just part of the building permit process. And then there's a category, um, you know, the rest of the ADUs go through what's the ADU permit. If you don't meet the standards in the ordinance, um, you could seek like a, a mod, a modification, which would go to planning commission. Um, if you wanted to deviate from the design standards, you could go through the design review board process. Um, if you went through those separate processes, um, it would just you just get a modification um, or the design review board approval. It wouldn't necessarily kick you up to a land use permit. There'd be like for design review board or a modification, there'd be effectuating zoning clearance, but that's really just to ensure permit compliance, and that's a staff level um, clearance permit. Okay, thanks. And then just a couple more questions. Um, the section about the owner occupancy requirements. Um, it said that in starting January first, twenty twenty five or subject to owner occupancy. Um, is that like in perpetuity? Like people, once they have an ADU, they have to live there forever? What happens um, when they sell the house? The, so the, the way the owner occupancy would work is the owner has to live on the site. Um, so if you sell it, um, I believe, oh, we can double check this, but I believe you could be in the ADU or the primary dwelling, but you would, ha you would always have to be on site for the ADU in one of the dwelling units. So if it's sold, the new, unit, the new owner would have to also adhere to that? Correct. Okay. And then my last question on deed restrictions. It talks about deed restriction may be removed if the owner eliminates the ADU. So if, if they go through this process and they get an ADU, is there a time limit they have to keep it? Or can they say, okay, a year from now, we want to just take out the little kitchen, and now we just have a bigger house? <laughs> So theoretically, they could do that, but we would um, I believe we would make them go through the process because an ADU, you, you get to avoid, like, if you do an addition, you get to avoid design review. So I think we would make them 
then come in and get the the appropriate approvals for a non-ADU for the non-ADU development. Okay, thanks. That's all my questions. Uh, next, Commissioner Chapman. Thank you. Uh, I have a few questions. They might be kind of basic about kind of the, some of the uh, the regulations in the first place. Um, one of the things I'm wondering is uh, why is the uh, so like the the RS zone the height limit is 25 feet and then for a separate ADU it's now uh, 16 to 18 feet depending on different conditions. Uh, what is the purpose for those being different numbers? Uh, well, I, I think they, it would be so that they don't become kind of a dominant feature that they truly are meeting that kind of the term accessory. Um, that you know you could have. You know, if you didn't limit the ADU size at all, you could have really large kind of ADUs, and that would otherwise, I mean, from a practical standpoint, wouldn't really serve as being an accessory on the site anymore. And again, that's an allowance that's in the state law um, to kind of have some limit on their size in that respect. Um, so we have included them for that reason. Okay, thank you. Uh, I have another question um, uh, about the setbacks. Um, uh, there's two questions. Uh, uh, so the what is the purpose of the, the front setback, the, the 20 foot setback? Um, and then with, with the, uh, the complication, I guess, with the, uh, that they cannot uh, make something that would have to be less than 800 square feet, would that actually result in some things that have a zero setback? So, I mean, generally speaking, the front setbacks are to ensure that the kind of right away in the public space is not kind of overburdened with the development. And that 20-foot setback is um, a standard that we have in our code for all development, um, so we've carried it forward um, to to ADUs where we have the authority to. Um, in terms of could you have an instance with a zero foot setback, potentially um, have to kind of pick a site and start drawing to see um, how 800 square feet could fit on the site otherwise. But it's 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 a possibility that if you had a a, a really small parcel where you couldn't fit an ADU in the backyard. And the only place to put it would be in the front setback. There's a possibility that um, you could have an ADU built right up to that property line. Thank you. Um, and I, I had another question that came up in the last meeting. Um, I think uh, I, I may have gotten mixed up about it. So uh, what I noticed was that the maximum square foot for a one-bedroom uh, uh, ADU is 850 square feet. And then in a separate section, the um, exemption from the impact fees is at uh, 750 square feet. So I think that the maximum permitted one bedroom is 850 square feet. Um, and I was wondering, uh, I guess, is there a reason why those are different values? Or was that intended to be the one bedroom, you know, like to align with the maximum one bedroom? And did it change at some point? Or is that uh, just both the minimums of the law? Um, Commissioner Chapman, those are both the minimums or the maximums um, in the law. Um, so I, I can't speak for the legislature why 850 versus 750, but those are the um, what we have authority to regulate under the law. Okay, thank you. That's all my questions. Uh, next I have Commissioner Miller. Thank you. 
I have two questions. Um, the first one relates to the efficiency kitchen item. Um, my question is, my first question about that is, number one, um, is for a regular size ADU versus a junior size ADU, is the size of the efficiency kitchen, is it, you know, regulated to be the same? Um, or is it regulated in that it just has to have a certain amount of counter space and then cooking appliances and then I assume refrigeration of some sort? Um, so is it, can they do it smaller in a junior ADU versus a regular ADU? So Commissioner Miller, that um, the reference to efficiency kitchens, that's only a requirement for junior ADUs. So it's, um, it's my understanding that under the building code you would, you, or under you know, standards you would generally require more of a kitchen. So the, the full ADU is gonna have a kind of a more comprehensive um, kitchen use than the junior ADU. And so the junior ADU is specifically spelled out. One of the requirements under the definition of junior ADU is that there's at least an efficiency kitchen. So it's kind of setting a lower bar as to what that unit needs, and, and just for context, you know, part of the reason for that may be is that there's internal access to the main unit, so there's a potential for shared facilities as well for those junior ADUs. Okay, thank you. Um, it's also, if you could just clarify for me, please. Um, I understand that some junior ADUs may be able to use shared bathroom facilities in the main house, so to speak, um, but that's, but in a regular size ADU, um, you have to have your own bathroom facilities within the unit itself, is that correct? That's correct, Commissioner Miller. So, um, a, a kind of a regular ADU, for lack of a better word, needs to be totally independent. And so for a, a dwelling unit, you need a bathroom. Um, and that's correct. Under the definition of a junior ADU, you can have shared, um, it doesn't say bathroom, it says shared sanitation facilities. Okay. But yes, they can be shared for a JADU. Okay. Sanitation facilities, does that also include washing dishes? If you have an efficiency kitchen, you know, it seems to me like maybe part of the, the, the efficiency kitchen, it talks about um, counter space and appliances, but it doesn't say anything about being able to wash dishes. So I would assume that maybe these sanitation uh, facilities that could be shared in a junior ADU also includes washing dishes. Is that correct? I'm not totally sure. Uh, Mr. Shapsis might be able to fill us in on that, but I will say, like our definitions in the in our ordinance are all that's allowed. Um, so, like in terms of any more detail or like if we require certain things of that efficiency kitchen, the, those aren't provided in the state law for us to apply. They are not provided for. Is that what you're saying? I'm I'm sorry, I Commissioner Miller. They we're limited to what the state has in their definition for these types of ADUs. Okay. So we, we can't go beyond into more detail or we risk then kind of overstretching our authority, our local authority when it comes to ADUs. 
Okay. I, you know, I, I can understand that, but I'm just wondering about the reality of the situation for someone that is living in one of these things and paying rent on one, perhaps. And, um, you know, I just want to make sure that these folks that are, you know, taking advantage of living in a junior ADU um, to help with housing, that it, you know, that they have appropriate facilities to do basic things like wash your dishes and use the restroom. You know, I, so I just wanted to, um, you know, I understand that ADUs are, are able to um, uh, allow for kind of quick housing for, for people, but I'm just wondering, um, is it adequate housing for people? That's, has the state figured that out or, you know, I, I guess I'm just confused about the whole thing. Thank you, Commissioner Miller. We share your concern that any of our that our housing is you know livable and especially with our high rents. I don't know. You know, we 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 do get complaints, as you know, and respond to the complaints. We haven't had substandard um, housing complaints in anything that's newly permitted for efficiency units that I'm aware of. And um, but we will, you know, we will track those things. But you know, so far on the new stuff, I mean, we it just this, you know, we just made the changes that even kind of further reduced our scope on the uh, junior ADUs, and so we haven't seen the outcome of it. But we we share your concern that the housing is um, not substandard and uh, meets the the needs of of the tenants. But I think we're we're doing what we can do um, with our regulations and taking them as far as as we can. Uh, that's allowed. Okay. And then um, my second set of questions, maybe it's just one question, um, is about the reporting of of uh, rent that is required. Um, so I understand that when someone comes to the planning department and wants to you know, build a ADU under the guidelines that have been set up. And it's my understanding that they're supposed to tell you the planning, as part of the planning process, what the rental income is going to be or what the rental ch charge is going to be for this ADU. Um, so, and then, you know, they figure out what, what it's worth, what the market will bear and all that sort of thing. So. That's one kind of the first step. But then what if they don't end up renting this ADU? I mean, what if they just end up using it for their own um, family? Um, you know, they build something that's, uh, that's um, supposedly under ADU guidelines so they can get it up quickly and get it through, but then they end up um, you know, just using it for their own um, family and, and or friends or something, and there's no rent being charged, do they report zero rent for that month? Or do they, you know, what if, how, how do they get around not charging rent if they don't want to? So Commissioner Miller, there's nothing obligating them to charge a rent. So if you, we, 
we refer to them as ADUs now. I think that's become kind of a common term. But they used to be called granny flats, often referred to as granny flats. And the idea there is you could have, you know, your parents move into this second unit um, and kind of assist them some. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't be obligated to charge them rent. Um, there's nothing requiring a rent to be charged. So they could report zero rent um, in the future. In terms of, you know, just an enlargement of their single-family dwelling, um, you know, that, that may be inconsistent with the use definition. And so there may be an avenue there for enforcement. But it, even that would be really hard. Um, I, we asked our code compliance officers about that and just how hard that would be, practically speaking, to determine whether you know, the person you see in the ADU when the lights are on, whether they're actually living in the main house. You know, from a practical standpoint, enforcement of that really wouldn't, wouldn't be doable. Um, but they could, they could report zero on their rent in the future years as we ask for the reporting, and um, you know, they're, they're within their rights to do that. Let's see, uh, Vice, Vice Chair Maynard. All right, um, not to belabor this point, but just one quick clarification on the efficiency uh, kitchens. You said something uh, really intriguing in the staff presentation. You said that the, some of the changes with the efficiency kitchens were not explicitly driven by state law, but trying to align with HCD expectations. Can you say more about what you meant by that? So, um, Vice Chair Manning, I would use the example of the square footage requirements mm -hmm. for um, the countertops and mm -hmm. storage as part of an efficiency kitchen in a JADU. Those numbers that we had, and you'll see mm -hmm. them struck out in the underlying strike-through mm -hmm. version. Those are not in the state law, those actual numbers. Mm -hmm. Those are something that we added as an mm -hmm. approximation for adequacy. Mm -hmm. um, and um, we believe that it's, it's going to be a better practice to remove those because those sizes weren't explicitly granted in the state law. So trying to think through that. Is that a judgment call, or is there because we've seen this backfire in other cities, or like why why do we believe that we can't do that? So, uh, Vice Chair Maynard, that was in consultation with the city attorney's office, and mm -hmm. and we have this the benefit of a, a mm -hmm. city attorney's office that does ADU regulations for a lot of cities, mm -hmm. and so they're seeing every time we adopt an ordinance for mm -hmm. ADUs, we have to submit it to the state HCD mm -hmm. for review, and they can comment and and tell us they don't think our ordinance is compliant with state law. And it's in, in our city attorney's office experience that adding in these specific size requirements um, has been something that HCD has flagged um, as a concern. Um, and uh, just for clarification, although it sounds like we, we don't have any wiggle there, um, in the efficiency kitchen, there will not be a requirement for a sink. Is that correct? Vice Chair Maynard, I'm, I'm not totally sure, um, and I'll, I'll tee this up for the city attorney's office if they have any clarity on this. There are cooking facilities required with appliances, but I'm not sure if explicitly if a sink is required as part of that. And I think from the last time we discussed this, my understanding of with appliances could be as simple as a microwave, correct? Vice Chair Maynard, yeah, we talked about this, that it's it can be fairly a fairly simple kind of single counter um, with kind of minimal appliance. Um, 
We had, can I interrupt and thank you? Just clarify on the efficiency kitchen requirement from um, HCD guidelines. It is um, JADUs are required to have an efficiency kitchen, which shall include all of the following a cooking facility with appliances, a food preparation counter, and storage cabinets that are of reasonable size in relation to the size of the junior accessory dwelling unit. And that kind of goes to. <laughs> why we don't want to put a specific number because it has to be mm -hmm. reasonable under the HCD's um, guidelines. And so, you know, when you, when you put numbers in, then you submit to HCD and they might not think it's reasonable. So that, um, you know, bolsters our advice to just take numbers out of it because it has to be reasonable to that JADU's size. I guess follow-up question on that one because that's a lot of the purpose around ADUs is to get as objective as possible and remove subjective language. Who determines reasonable size? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think it's you know each city does, and then of course we have to submit to HCD for approval, and um, they may come back with a different opinion. So will we come up? You said each city determines what's reasonable. So do we do that on each individual project, or are, are we at some point going to define reasonable size? Or I think that's the the point to this revision here yeah. is that is that we have to mirror what's in state law and the reasonable size, which which we have the same okay. <laughs> issue with that you do is it's subjective, and we're supposed to be objective. And this was a conversation that we had with the city attorney's office and their, their, um, their attorney that like just does, mm -hmm. you know, it's the focus is on accessory dwelling unit ordinances. And, and that was the determination was, yeah, it's counterintuitive because you're now making this what was objective now subjective. So we'll have to figure it out in practice. We're, we're going to work, you know, work internally on some guidelines. So we'll start with the the standard in here is when when you know when we express the expectation mm -hmm. we'll use 15 feet to you know get people in the in the um, ballpark of you know help guide them in. Um, I don't think we can force them to, but that's what we'll start with the expectation. So again, like I said, we'll, we will have a lot of internal um, like notes to the um, planning and building staff so that we can benefit from some of these things that, that we had in the regulations before. We just won't be able to require them. And just to jump in, if I may, um, it's also that the city can put those, you know, what is reasonable into its building code or another section, but just for purposes of this ordinance and limited only to the purpose of this ordinance, um, that's the language we need to use because it's the language that, you know, when HCD is reviewing the ordinance, they're going to be looking for. So, so that's the reason that language is there, even though it is, you know, not objective, it, reasonable is not an objective word, but, but that's the language that HCD is going to be looking for. So that's why it's included in the ordinance. Oh, uh would it be possible uh, for the speaker just to verbally identify themselves? Uh, yes, sorry about that. This okay. is Scott Schatzes from the city attorney's office. Thank you. Okay, um, yes, more questions. Um, so we had emailed a little bit today about it and I'm gonna ask the questions so 
everybody can hear the answer I got earlier today. Um, but I'd asked about one of the, there's an exemption for anything that was built before January 1st, 2018, that however it was built, if it didn't follow our guidelines, it still gets approved unless it has a potential risk for health and safety. How do we know if it was built before January 1st, 2018, if it was not permitted? Vice Chair Maynard, um, it's actually maybe a tough thing to identify. Um, so in talking with our building staff, um, you know, they, they said that you know, if something was built before January 1st, 2018, but within the few years before that, mm -hmm. it might, you know, from external appearances, it might look pretty brand new. Um, so in some cases, they may just have to take the applicant's word for it. There is some um, kind of reconnaissance work um, you can do through Google Earth. You know, there's time sequences in Google Earth. We also fly aerial imagery every two years. Um, it's now down to three inch resolution and previously was six inch res resolution. So we have at least three sequences of that. I think going back to just before 2018 maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so you can look at those things. But it is a pretty hard um, thing to identify with certainty. Um, and with that said, um, probably a lot of ADUs that are going to come in and that are essentially as-built ADUs, for lack of a better, that's essentially what, mm -hmm. what this provision is for, is previously built ADUs, right? Um, they're going to be before the changes in state law, because the state law has changed to become much more favorable to these ADUs. Mm -hmm. So if, if they're getting built now, it's much more likely that they'll come in to get permits because they're much more readily available, where mm -hmm. in the past it was um, regular there are more regulatory constraints locally. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it may well be that um, a lot of ADUs that come in as, as built will be prior to that January 1st, 2018 date. And is the city then planning on, is that something you all are committed to doing now? Is it looking at least the Google image search and the aerial photos, or has there been talk internally about if those are practices that you'll do as standard practice? Um, we haven't, but we can. Okay. Um, um, you had talked about uh, the distance from a major traffic stop. Um, I watched the city council meeting on December on this one. I understand that there's only one major traffic, uh, one major transit stop um, that would meet these definitions in the city of Goleta, and that's the train station. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, this is kind of a goofy one, but I was reading about another city uh, that was going through their ADU um, process, and they there was an unintended consequence of creating the ADUs that the property went from essentially single-family dwelling to a multi-unit development, and it triggered other laws. Um, so in LA, there's a rent control law, and so once it became a multi-family dwelling because there were two units on the same property, it actually triggered their rent control law, which I thought was really interesting. Um, in City of Goleta, I was looking back at the zoning ordinance to see if there was any other cons unattended consequences that we might think about. And mostly we do multifamily in terms of districts rather than sort of by individual units. By creating sort of two residences on the same property, are there any other sort of changes in how that property would be dealt with outside of the ADU that we're not thinking about or that I'm not thinking about? Uh, Vice Chair Maynard, I can't, can't think of anything in Title 17. I think they would have kind of 
bubble to the surface by now. Um, and there is, we, we didn't highlight it, but there is language about um, that an ADU or JDU doesn't change the um, group R occupancy category under the building code. Um, so I think there's that added safeguard in the ADU regulations to make it clear um, that that doesn't change under the building code requirements. Um, you know, changes. I think that has to do with things like sprinklers or energy efficiency mm -hmm. requirements. But um, it, there is that revision as well, and that would be um, big page 32 of the packet. There's some very detailed language <laughs> about um, you know the occupancy categories okay. um, with ADUs. Okay, and then my last question. Um, so as I was researching for today's meeting and I'm looking online um, and if you search ADU online and recent news, you get a lot of, uh, one of the things that actually came up a lot was news articles that said, uh, you can turn your ADU into an office, a yoga space, a residence. You know, it actually sort of actively rebrands re ADU as not necessarily just being dwelling and I found like a lot of stuff online. Do we have a process when somebody comes in for an ADU permit that we remind them that it must only be a dwelling, a space that somebody's intended to sleep in? Vice Chairman, I don't believe we, we do that explicitly. I mean, it is embedded within the definition of a use that we're mm -hmm. processing, that it, it's, it's for independent living. Um, so it's an independent dwelling unit. Um, but we don't kind of specifically, you know, go through that type of reminder with okay. applicants. That's all my questions. Everything else is commentary. Uh, thank you, commissioners. Uh, one question I had was regarding, um, I didn't know if there was any information about, um, uh, and I know I, I missed the last meeting, but uh, in terms of just where we're at with numbers on, on ADUs, uh, maybe, or I don't know if there's any information from 2022. Um, Chair Smith, um, we do have, so um, since the laws have really changed in 2019, um, before 2019 we weren't seeing ADUs. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen, uh, we've seen some since then. Um, 2019 we saw eight um, get building permit issuances. And so, um, and then 2020 and 2021 we saw 18 and 25 in 2022. Um, so we're certainly seeing an uptick um, over time. And I know that there's already been quite a few building permit applications in 2023. We don't have those numbers. We're not, we don't track it within the year. Um, but we know that the pattern is continuing to kind of on the, the uptick. Thank you. That's helpful. Just uh, <laughs> the big picture, um, for those of us who've been on the commission for a while, we've, <laughs> we've come back to this issue multiple times. So it's helpful to have that context. Um, I, I don't know if there's any sense, I, I know it may not go to planning, um, of, of sort of the different changes uh, that were either in the urgency or ordinance or this one, um, that there may be particular community or interest in any one particular change, possibly the height standard. I don't know if there's any just general sense of like, there's a huge demand for uh, any aspect of what's being proposed tonight? Or it's or if it's still sort of uncertain or unknown until the changes are made? Chair Smith, I mean, we certainly, it's it's been a pattern that garage conversions have been the big driver of ADUs. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't think any of these changes would 
would make garage conversions any easier. They're already pretty easy to get permitted. Mm-hmm. Um, the height standard, particularly that attached up to 25 feet in the RS, will now make it um, possible to get a straight, like, second-story ADU, second-story addition, or adding a second story to a single-story um, single-family dwelling. So that we might see some of that. So occasionally we've seen... Um, like second story additions go through like design review board as an addition and then they can convert it to an ADU. So this would streamline that process and get them out of that design review process as a, it'll be a single step ministerially rather than kind of that two step with the design review review board. So we may see some of those, but again, we're not, we're not sure at this point what patterns we're seeing. Great, thank you. Are there any other, uh, oh yes, uh, Commissioner Chapman. Yeah, I, I had one more question about the uh, height requ- the attached height requirements. I noticed that in, the, in addition it says that it's limited to two stories. Is it possible to build something under the building code over two stories? That's 25 feet? Um, yeah, getting to a third story with 25 feet would be pretty challenging. Um, I wouldn't say impossible, but um, like our RS height standard is 25 feet, and I don't can't think of any three-story houses in RS. I think it, it's pretty tricky to do that. Any other questions from commissioners? Okay, next uh, we'll open, or anything else from staff? Okay, we'll open things up for public comment. Um, if there's any member of the public uh, who would like to speak on this item, we do ask that individuals fill out a speaker slip. Um, do is there anybody who's interested in speaking this evening on this item? And I'll remind anyone within the Zoom webinar app to please use the raised hand icon, and I will call on you. Uh, I'm seeing no speakers, Chair. Okay. Final call. Any any speakers? <laughs> If you would like to come up and speak, you're welcome, and then we would just ask that you turn in a, a speaker slip afterwards. That's okay. You can you can come up and a- ask your question. We just ask that you do it at the microphone. If there's anybody um, watching at home, it helps them to hear. And if you could just st- state your name. Uh, my name is Bert Bernstein, uh, and my question is in regard to the... Uh, planning of an ADU and whether or not you're giving any consideration to doing it on a more expedited basis. I know right now it takes somewhere from three to six months to get an ADU approved. And I think considering um, the need for housing and the desire for additional housing, that we should have some consideration for an expedited system where an ADU is involved. Thank you for your comment. Let's see, um, did, would staff like to co- uh, comment on that question or concern? Sure, Chair Smith. I'd just like to note that the ADU ordinance does have processing timelines, which are pretty tight. Um, it's, it's based on a complete application. Um, so if there's an incomplete application, that timeline doesn't start. But um, we need to you know, approve or issue that denial within 60 days. Um, so we do have pretty quick turnarounds under 
state law um, for ADUs. Thank you. Let's see, do we have any other um, speakers from the public who would like to speak this evening? Yes, and we'll ask call for anyone on the Zoom webinar who wishes to speak to this item. Please use the raised hand icon and I will call on you. I'm seeing none. Okay. Let's see, if, if there's no further public comment, I will close, uh, formally close the public comment period. Oh, uh, sure, uh, Commissioner, oh, we have a, f a few more questions. Let's go with that, uh, Commissioner Maynard. Uh, just one more follow-up based on the question that was asked. What, what most commonly prevents a complete application on an ADU? Like at the at the like building side, you need really like specific plans, like the electrical, the plumbing, and so there may be. I don't want to speak too much to that process because we don't we don't review those plans, but there can be some like really um, specific details in those building plans that need to be ironed out, um, and they just have to be there. Um, I think on the the planning permit application side, it's a it's a bit simpler. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the similar requirements aren't um, that. Um, lengthy, um, just because um, there aren't that many standards <laughs> you need to meet. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really more on the building side and those like those details of building plans. Thank you, Chair Smith, for letting me sneak that question in. No problem. Uh, are there any other questions from commissioners? Okay. Let's see. Then I will go ahead and close the public comment period, uh, and we will move into uh, our deliberation. Uh, is there any uh, commissioner who would like to begin? Uh, commissioner Folderton. Yeah, I just want to say I understand that there are a lot of state requirements, and I um, appreciate why we have to make these changes. Some of it's a little unfortunate, like the potential front yard setback, you know, having a house like right on the street, but I understand um, that's what we have to do. So I I think it's all clear, it all makes sense, and I support the, um, the changes as written. Any other uh, commissioner comments? Commissioner Maynard? I'm sorry, I have Commissioner, <laughs> I'm getting used to the technology still. Commissioner Chapman, I'll have you go first and then I'll have Commissioner Maynard. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, I just wanted to comment that the uh, separate permit for ADUs makes sense um, because otherwise it would have to basically be a permit process but with exceptions. And so I think it made a lot of sense to just break it out into a separate permit. Vice Chair Maynard. Um, I have three comments that are more about standard operating procedure than the actual ordinance tonight, um, but they're connected. Um, I think the ordinance as is looks good to me, and I'm, I'm not looking to make recommendation recommended changes directly to the ordinance, but I think three things come up in the ordinance that I wanted to just comment on. 
I think in terms of the units for that were built prior to January 1st, 2018, I urge the city to establish a standard operating procedure to try and verify those as I would be concerned that a uh, owner might try to develop a property that doesn't follow our guidance after 2018 and submit it as an older project. So um, I think you outlined both the difficulty of it but also some creative ideas of how to identify that and so would love to see those be a part of a standard operating procedure for the city. Um, as you all that have been here for longer remember, I'm a huge advocate of some kitchen facilities. I have um, worked in the area of food security before, and, and I've, in trying to create affordable housing, I, I worry that we're driving up the cost of food by not giving folks a way to prepare food. Uh, so I will just vent for a moment about uh, losing that efficiency kitchen. Um, but I think there was one thing that came up in tonight's meeting as a potential next step of, um, I think um, Mr. Um, Shapesies had mentioned that potentially in the building code we could better define what reasonable is, at least for the scale of the efficiency kitchen. And I encourage whoever within the city has authority over the building code to consider how we could better objectify that standard of reasonable there. Um, and my last comment is also a standard operating procedure type of comment, but um, at the permit desk as we're giving away, as we're granting ADU permits, even if all we could do is kind of shout at the wind, but just to say, please remember, this is only for a residential dwelling, and if that changes, please come in for a different type of permit. This is intended only to be residences. If all we can do is say it, I think we should still say it. <laughs> um, so I would encourage that that be included in our communications at the permit desk. Um, and those are my three comments. Uh, any other comments from commissioners? Commissioner Miller. Um, I would just like to echo what Con Commissioner Maynard said about, you know, we do understand that there are a lot of uh, state laws and mandates that um, go into this whole program. And, um, you know, we're all sort of at that mercy. Um, but I also understand the need for ADUs. Um, I just, um, you know, like Commissioner Maynard, um, I'm also, you know, of the belief that, yes, you, you have to provide, you know, some sort of um, facilities for kitchen and f which includes washing dishes and, um, and then, of course, um, some sort of, um, you know, restroom facilities as well. But, and I know you, you just, you know, you can't, um, you know, really dictate all of this like Commissioner Maynard said, but you know, strongly encourage um, would be um, really, really appreciated by, I think, everyone in the city of Goleta. Um, it just causes me some angst that, um, you know, because we have such a need for housing that uh, we don't have people that are sort of, uh, you know, homeowners that sort of go off the reservation 
in um, you know doing ADUs and junior ADUs just to you know maybe you know try and think they're contributing to the housing crisis, but um, you know a housing crisis is still a housing crisis if you can't um, you know supply someone with decent housing that that's you know that satisfies people's living requirements. So anyway, that's just my comment. I will support, of course, the, um, the amendment or ordinance or resolution, whatever it is that we're uh, voting on tonight because none of us really has any choice and it's all seemed to be um, done very well by staff as usual. So. Um, but my comments are just that, uh, you know, I'm just hoping for things in the future that make more sense. Thank you. Any other comments from commissioners? Any motion? Uh, Commissioner Maynard? Yes, one more comment just before motion. I just sure. wanted to give a huge thank you. I know not everyone was able to give public comment tonight, or uh, not everyone chose to give public comment tonight that that was available, but it's just really exciting um, to see this many people in the audience tonight and to be able to share this information with you. We usually don't get to talk to too many people, uh, so it's been really nice to see a full room tonight, and I just want to thank you all for being here. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, Commissioner Fullerton. I'd like to make a motion okay. to adopt Planning Commission Resolution Number 23-XX entitled A Resolution of the Planning Commission of the City of Goleta recommending that the City Council adopt an ordinance to update procedures and regulations for accessory dwelling units pursuant to Assembly Bill 2221 and Senate Bill 897 and determine the ordinance to be exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act, case number 22-0005-ORD. Is there a second? I will second. Thank you. Uh, let's see, so next we'll go into a roll call vote of commissioners. If the commissioners would please lock their vote in using the panels. Commissioner Chapman. Aye. Commissioner Fullerton. Aye. Commissioner Miller. Aye. Vice Chair Maynard. Aye. And Chair Smith. Aye. Okay. Looks like we have a, a unanimous uh, vote of approval for the motion. Well, thank you, commissioners. Uh, thank you to staff, uh, and thank you to everybody in the audience for being here. Uh, next, we'll move on to our next agenda item, uh, and that is our planning director comments. Thank you, Madam Chair. I just have a few items. Um, first, uh, I wanted to alert you that the League of Cities is sponsoring a Planning Commissioners Academy, which will take place on March 29th through the 31st in Garden Grove. And the um, planning department does have budget if any of you are interested. Um, you should contact our management assistant, Kim Dominguez, and she can assist you with registering. Um, I have attended this conference in the past and it is worthwhile. Um, next, I wanted to alert the commission that last week, our Historic Preservation Commission, our new Historic Preservation Commission, met for the first time and it was very uh, neat to be there and to witness that historic event. 
um, and they will now be meeting regularly um, every couple of months, and um, items that, that they see will often be recommended onto you, so you'll have the benefit of their um, expertise. Um, next Tuesday, the, on March 7th, the City Council will hear the Heritage Ridge project. It will come before them. The staff report is out. Um, and that is, of course, a project that uh, you are familiar with already. So I um, wanted to alert you that that is happening. At this point in time, we have no items for the March 13th Planning Commission meeting. And the March 27th Planning Commission meeting was canceled due to spring break. So our next meeting will likely be in April, April 10th. And that concludes my report. Thank you. And, and our next item, uh, item D, is Planning Commission comments. Do we have any? That's a silly cue, but I do have one. Oh. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to the city. Um, I have registered for the League of Cities Planning Commissioners Academy. I'm very look at, um, looking forward to it, and I do encourage my other planning commissioners to attend as well. I've attended it in the past. It's been an excellent event, and I do plan to go this year. Any other comments? Okay, do we have a motion for adjournment? I'll move to adjourn. I'll second. Uh, we'll do a roll call vote for adjournment. Commissioner Chapman. Aye. Commissioner Fullerton. Aye. Commissioner Miller. Aye. Vice Chair Maynard. Aye. And Chair Smith. Aye. We are adjourned. Thank you, everybody.